Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Miriam Connolly. Miriam is the director of the University of Michigan's Blavin Scholars Program, based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, welcome, Miriam. Thank you so much for participating in our podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm really great, Lynn. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. I appreciate that. I am very much looking forward to learning about you and the program that you work with. To get started, could you please share a little bit about your background and how is it that you became connected with the foster care system? Absolutely. So a little bit about me. I grew up in the Flint area and really had a pretty non-traditional trajectory to college and to my education. I really wanted to go to college. And so I joined the Marine Corps. And following that time, I went to a community college. And from there, went to the University of Michigan Flint, where I received my bachelor's in social work and began working in foster care. I was a foster care specialist where I was responsible for every aspect of foster care, receiving families and supporting them and helping them to reunify with their children and really was so excited about that work. It was amazing as a brand new social worker to have the privilege of serving families. From there, I received my master's of social work at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And in the interim, had worked for the state of Michigan, really in any aspect of child welfare that you can consider foster care, licensing, foster care manager. I was able to do all of those things and ultimately was able to also do clinical work. So working in nonprofit work as a clinician, I was able to do that after coming to the Ann Arbor area and receiving my master's in social work and becoming a licensed clinician, working in nonprofits to, again, serve underrepresented families is really a passion area for me. So following that time, or I like to say during that time, I, while working in Washtenaw County as a licensing specialist, recruiting and licensing foster homes and foster parents and educating them, I had the opportunity to come to my alma mater at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor and work with the Blavin Scholars Program. In doing that work, it was incredible. All along my career journey, I've always really loved working in child welfare, but meeting the Blavin Scholars, working with the university. I was so excited about this work that I actually quit my job, which I had been in for the state of Michigan for 18 years, to become a campus coach at the Blavin Scholars program. And then when a very short amount of time within that same year, became the interim director for the program and then the director in this role. So that is uh, sort of my journey along the social work timeline. Wow. And how many years have you been with the university? I have been with the university for over six years now. Okay. over six. And in that time, you went from a coach to an interim director to director. Yes. In an wow. extremely short amount of time. That's I mean, really, terrific. Really days. <laughs> Well, I can tell you, and I hear it in your voice, they must have recognized, among other things, just the passion that you have for the young people. Absolutely. And again, I would like to say it, 
it was actually the Blavin Scholars and all of the amazing champions that are on the campus at the University of Michigan that was so compelling. Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely want to find out about that. I did want to ask you a quick question, though, because I haven't talked with many social workers in these interviews yet. And since you spent so long in that world, working with foster youth and foster families and biological families, did you see while you were there, because I keep hearing how overworked and overloaded social workers are, did you see that problem? Oh, absolutely. It is a stressed system. And so social workers, I believe, you know, work incredibly hard and families work incredibly hard. And it is a situation where it can be incredibly overwhelming and it can also be an opportunity to make amazing changes alongside your clients, alongside your students and in the greater community. So while it is incredibly overwhelming, incredibly tough work, it's also incredibly exciting work, incredibly fulfilling work, because you can do really great things. So it was always incredible to be able to reunify a family or to be able to, if when that was not possible, to provide permanence for a child. And now to see, if, as you can hear, to really have the experience of seeing young people from infancy, where you may work with a child in infancy and their family, to now moving to working with helping people to understand college access and the importance of helping youth change the narrative that has followed young people who've experienced foster care to college. So it was, again, it, it's a career that I'm incredibly grateful for. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we have broached the subject of Blavin Scholars Program. So let's go ahead and dive in. What is it that Blavin Scholars does? I think folks get a sense that it's a program that supports foster youth in that college setting there at the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. But what is it that you do? do for the young people? What services do you offer? How do you help them get into college, stay into college, be successful after college? What do you do? Absolutely. So the Blavin Scholarship and Program is a program at the University of Michigan that supports students who've experienced foster care and students who've experienced uh, compromised support systems such as homelessness. Those who are at the university specifically experience foster care and are without traditional familial support. We do a lot of things. So we have a very structured program that relies on sort of four pillars. One of the things that we do is we really are committed to supporting students in navigating and maximizing their experience at the University of Michigan. And that means making sure that every single aspect of their college experience is as best as it could be by making sure that we're looking at those gaps that can occur for individuals with this particular lived experience. We also work on developing a supportive network among Blavin scholars and the larger campus. So we make sure that those students, before they come to college, we are doing recruiting, and I'll talk about that, outreach and recruitment ahead of time. But once they're coming to college, we're really helping them to build social capital. And we do that by providing a mentor who is a staff or faculty member at the University of Michigan. 
And we do a very cool process that's similar to a speed match. The amazing part about the mentoring program and creating that supportive network is that we are really talking about premier people who are extremely well, you know, versed in their particular careers, but are absolutely devoted and desire to become a Blavin Scholar. So we had over a hundred, when I started, they were 32 students and there were over a hundred different people in a variety of fields who wanted to become Blavin Scholars and help our students. What a great problem to have. Yeah. So so it's (laughs) a very different process from when I was doing foster care work, where a person was often given their social capital, given people in their lives after having this pretty traumatic experience of being separated in their lives. In this case, the student is selecting their person from a group. They kind of cool. They, they say this is one of the students say this is one of the coolest things they get to do. They We bring them in all into a room pre-COVID and they sit across from these doctors and attorneys and professors and people who are deans of students and they have a conversation and then they move on to the next person. They pick their top three and the, so does the mentor. And that's how we make our matches. But again, I think it's pretty extraordinary because that person is going to be with them as a member of their social network, one of their people, the entire time that person's in college. So it could be four or five years and beyond. The other part that we provide is we educate the community to help our students. We take a holistic approach to provide life skills for our students academic, professional, life skills. We're really looking at the whole person. And we do that through campus coaching. So I was a campus coach, even as a director. I have students who meet with me. Students are asked to meet with us once a month. But we like to say that we are their people, but not just say it, we want to be it. And so as we are their people, they will come in, they will meet with us, and we will talk about every aspect of their lives. And kind of go around what we call the life domains, the seven life domains, which really encompasses a student's entire experience with education in the center. So night or day, 24-7, we have a 24-7 support phone call that they can call or phone that they can call if they have an emergency. So they always have, again, building on that social capital. You've mentioned mentors and you've mentioned campus coaches. So it sounds like it's possible there might be a little overlap in the type of support that you're giving the young people. So maybe just for the listeners, can you clarify the difference? So the difference we like to share is that one is a paid person and one is a volunteer. There (laughs) is overlap. So we are coaches and our job is to have a very somewhat of a structured process where we're meeting with that student. And again, talking through the seven life domains that they are talking about life skills finances, et cetera, whereas the mentor is a person who's a volunteer and who's going to meet with them and be more of a person who can help guide them through their life, through their college experience in a more sort of a friend as a friend, as a mentor. It does have overlap though, and we often share what does that mean. So for example, a mentor wouldn't necessarily be handling something that might become a crisis. They would talk to us and we support that mentor match. Okay. That makes sense. So if maybe in a nutshell, the mentors are a little more on the informal support Mm -hmm. and the coaches are staff members who are providing more of the formal support. Correct. 
Okay, got it. Thank you. Sure. And so the other part that we help to create for our students is we create a sense of community. The Blavin Scholars Program has their own space on campus. It is one of the only student programs that has its own space designed by the students. So it has, you know, couches and things that the students really wanted. It's a space where they can be together and they can hang out together, but they can also have a sense of this is mine. But we also do a conference where we are teaching, or I'm sorry, let me back up and talk about the community experience. Mm -hmm. What we offer in that community experience is, again, we're very thoughtful about the gaps. Where will a student go during the holidays? Where will they have Thanksgiving dinner? And I also want to be very clear that I'm not painting with a broad brush. Every single Blavin Scholars experience is different. Some may have been returned home. Some may have never felt like they were in foster care or experienced foster care. Some are living with grandparents. Some were adopted, et cetera. And some are still in young adult voluntary foster care when they come to college until the age of 21. So we have Thanksgiving dinner. We have a very fancy Thanksgiving dinner with our <laughs> students. We have Christmas for those students who participate in the holiday. And we make sure that they have everything that they need to feel that they are a part of this campus. So from the time that they come to the university, we make sure that they have a welcome basket, which has all of the things. I like to say all the things that you would see at Target if you were getting ready to go to college. <laughs> And laundry baskets and sheets and towels and everything. Then we make sure that once they're here, they have a connection to each other, a connection to a community. They have Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, but they also have a birthday card on their birthdays. They have Christmas gifts. We have amazing volunteer program that make sure that our students have what they would like to have for Christmas. So really, again, I won't go, I love this program and I could just go on and on. So I'll, <laughs> I'll pause there. Well, I did have a question about the young people. You said you help them figure out where they're going to go over the holidays. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Do you work with local agencies to try to find places for them to stay over holidays if they don't have that? Do you open a dorm for them? How do you manage that when young people don't have a place to stay? It's a fantastic question, one I'm quite proud of. The University of Michigan Blavin Scholars Program makes sure every student has safe housing that they select. So it's, again, it's really important that we're thoughtful about not placing someone and not recreating that feeling of you being told to go here. So we talk to our students. They're all adults, and we coach them through way ahead of time. Planning is so important to make sure that they feel safe and secure and like a regular college student. So if they're living in a dorm, they can choose to stay in their dorm and the program will cover that cost. If they're living in an apartment or during the summertime, the program will help support that student financially through the summer months. And again, that looks a little different for everyone and it's designed to do so, right? So some students may have gotten a major job, say at Chase Bank, where they're making a lot of money. They might not need that support, but they might need help finding an apartment. Whereas another student might say, you know what, it's been a really tough time during COVID. I just need a break. And they might say, you know what, I want to stay in my dorm. So we work with our liaisons 
And we have liaisons all across campus that we've trained to understand the unique lived experiences of Blavin scholars. And our Blavin liaisons are able to do what we call a warm handoff and make sure that every student has housing with us if they're in the housing department. But if they're looking for something else, sometimes they're studying abroad and we can help them with that. Okay, so you've added a new role <laughs> into our discussion, mm -hmm. the Blavin liaisons. Yes. So these are also volunteers, I take it, from the university. How do you find these folks? And I'm just wondering if other colleges that don't have a program like this were interested in setting something like this up. Well, you know, what does that program, if you will, look like? Sure. So Blavin liaisons are people that we identify who are necessary for college life throughout all, you know, for a person's experience. We also know that for our students, having lived quite independently or having had the experiences that they have may struggle with asking for help. So we've reached out to folks like we have our, actually have our own financial aid team for Blavin Scholars. We can help our students connect directly with those folks because financial aid, as most people know, is one of the most tricky and challenging things to understand. We also have folks in everything from dining to different than 19 schools and colleges in the dean of students office, which we are a part of the dean of students office. We have folks in Michigan Medicine at the hospital, individuals who we can say, this is our person. We've identified them and they are not volunteers. They are partners. So they are part of student life. They are part of the university. And we go to them and we say, here's what, who we are. And we believe that you are a person who can bring a compassionate, knowledgeable experience for our students. Would you consider being a Bladen scholar? That's I'm wonderful. Sorry, being a Blavin liaison. Liaison. I, I figured that's what you meant. <laughs> so are these partners, could they be part of the university and part of the community? Could it be either? Sure. So we have off-campus partners as well. We have the Department of Health and Human Services. And I can share a little bit that we can talk about as you like. And remember that I came to the role through the partnership with the Department of Health and Human Services. We have an in-kind, that was an in-kind position. We have an in-kind person who works in our office who remains in that role. And that person helps navigate the complex and really challenging Department of Health and Human Services for any young people or any other any person. That can be a really challenging place to, to navigate. So they might help them if they wanted to apply for a bridge card. And we will help them with what we call partnership. And that's a really key part of the coaching experience and of the program. We are here to do with, we are not here to do to or to do for. That partnership is the main reason I really thought this is something so different than what I've ever done in foster care that really was so compelling to me. And the concept of having the student be at voice, be at the center of every single thing we do. Yeah, I also agree that that is so important. You're starting to help young people become independent. And if you don't give them the chance to start making decisions for their own lives, mm -hmm. you're just still just giving them things and they won't be ready when the time comes. Correct. Well, how many years has Blavin Scholars been in existence? So the Blavin Scholars program started in 2009 and it was started by Paul and Amy Blavin. Paul Blavin is an alum from the University of Michigan. 
Ross Business School and from the Harvard Business School. He was reading Dave Pelzer's book, A Child Called It, and was so compelled by that story, which chronicles the life of a person experiencing foster care. And he, he was, you know, understands that education might be one way that he could support and help individuals with this experience. So he came back to his alma mater, talked to the powers that be at the University of Michigan. And the University of Michigan from day one has been all about the Blavin Scholars Program. But it was started as a scholarship. And initially, the university was like, absolutely sure, we'll, we can do that. Bring us scholarship funding. We'll, we're happy to take it. But within a year's time, they really realized that was not enough, that what the students needed was more holistic support, not just funding, not just a scholarship. The university or the Blavin Scholars Program provides a $5,000 a year scholarship to every student that uh, scholarship is renewable. And that's one of the things that was really helpful for the program to have those students come and join the program. And over time, it has grown exponentially every single year. When I was first starting Aging Out Institute, which originally was a hobby, and I was researching programs that supported young people who were aging out of foster care, that I came across Blavin Scholars. And it's my impression, tell me if I'm wrong, it's my impression that your program is the, or if not one of the leading programs, kind of the folks who were the first to do this in the college setting. I know in California, they've been doing a lot as well. But I just remember that your program was also at the forefront of this type of support. And now more and more colleges, community colleges are getting on board, which is wonderful. But is my impression correct? You are absolutely correct. I'm really proud to say, I mean, when we started, we started with a champion. And most programs do. One person on campus, maybe usually someone in the financial aid department, who can say, oh, I've been reading all of these you know, requests, or I understand these students may need additional support. That's how the program began. It started with one or two program or champions on campus out of the dean of students office, out of the financial aid office who got together and started to support these students. And as it grew, so did our liaison pool. So yes, I'm really excited because that was one of the goals that I had. I like to create lofty goals and like to encourage <laughs> our students to create lofty goals. And I, I was building on a program that was already amazing. But I said, I really want to make this program the premier, one of the premier programs in the country. And I want to take what I've learned and, and lessons learned forward across the nation. So I was been very fortunate along with Paul Blavin and our other champions on campus to be able to connect and create, help to create other programs and consult on building other programs that are similar to ours. Oh, that was going to be my next question. And so let's say, hypothetically, we have a college or community college that is interested in learning more. How would they get in touch with you to try to connect and maybe get some of that wonderful counseling? Well, I'm happy to share my uh, contact <laughs> information with anyone who is in need of it. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that, obviously, you mentioned the Guardian Scholars in California, the CETA Scholars in Western Michigan. All of us in Michigan are part of the Higher Education Consortium. So all of the campus-based support programs across Michigan. And then, as you said, there's a broader network that's growing across the nation. So those are folks that were the backbone of 
building these programs and continuing in the work who also do the work of like reach out and help people to build those programs directly. That's really good to know that you do that because that consulting is really key. Why? There's no need for other programs, other universities, colleges out there to recreate the wheel. Yes. Right. If there are models out there that are successful, take advantage, tap the brains of the people who are involved in them like yours so that you can select strategies and services that have been proven to be effective. Absolutely. And all of the services that we support or provide rather are researched, very, very well researched and proven to be incredibly effective. At this point, we still stand, even though we, like all other colleges and universities and campus-based support programs, had some students who had to stop out due to the pressure and stress of going online for online classes, we still retain over a 90% retention and graduation rate. Which is amazing when you look at the general statistics for foster youth who enter college versus those who actually graduate. Absolutely. And that's been our goal. Our passion is to change the narrative, not just for, but with our students. So I'll briefly share that one of the parts of the work that's really, you know, leads to what you were just talking about is our outreach and recruitment. We have an outreach and recruitment coordinator at times, and we have gone out, we go out into the community, we find young people, we really are focused on those folks who are in high school and have those conversations about what it's like to be in college. As part of our program agreement, our Blavin scholars are asked to participate annually in an outreach and recruitment event. That's something that fits for them. And that might be talking directly to a person who's experiencing foster care or a room full of folks who are experiencing foster care, foster care specialists, or foster parents, just to talk about college access and the ability, if I can do it, you can do it. And yes, you can do it at a premier university. Yes. But you do make me wonder, I mean, not every young person wants to go to college or, you know, they may very well choose a different path, such as going to a technical school of some kind. I haven't come across many, hardly any technical schools that have a program like this. It seems to me like it would be doable. I know budget is involved, but do you see this as also being quite feasible with technical schools? It actually is. There are technical schools being built by, again, Fostering Success Michigan has a map that really shares online if you go to Fostering Success Michigan. And it shares all of the different and ongoing, the hard work that Carrie Ward, Maddie Day, all of those individuals who have been leaders in this work continue to build this sort of programming. And technical colleges or technical schools have been included in that. That's great. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm so glad you brought that up too. When we speak to our students and we speak to individuals out in the community, we really lean into the other cool part of our program is we're not telling you to come to the University of Michigan. We're telling you college is possible when you need it. Like I said, I went to such a non-traditional trajectory. It's really helpful to share to someone. Yeah, you can. we have a lot of students who transfer. We have an amazing transfer program between our local community college, Washtenaw Community College, which also has the REACH program, which is a campus-based support program for students who want to come to University of Michigan. But we also share with them, you know, if you don't want to go to college, just know, or you don't want to go now, there's other options. We will help them apply to other colleges 
We will help them. If they want to go to Western, we will help them. I've helped plenty of students get into, I helped three students this summer get into MSU, Western, and somewhere else. Because I think that's part of the bigger mission. It isn't to come just to the university, your university or your college or your trade school. It is college access, furthering, aging out in a way that makes sense for the person. Right. And you make me think of a a nonprofit opportunity in other states is to start a program that helps young people in foster care apply to whatever direction they're going to go in, apply to those schools, technical schools, what have you. I think I think it's wonderful that you're doing that, but I see it as a nonprofit opportunity as well. Oh, absolutely. And there are some that do that. I know we have our house locally and other areas of individuals who actually in nonprofit work will will do just that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fantastic. Well, before we move on to my next question, I wanted to ask about these seven life domains that you mentioned. I know we're going way back to no. earlier in our conversation, but I have a circle around it. And <laughs> I, I'm very interested in knowing about what those seven life domains are and how did you come up with them? So we did not come up with them. They are part of the Chafee Life Skills So we modeled quite a bit of our program, again, thinking about what you said is why recreate the wheel. We went to Western Michigan University and they were kind enough to help us to, as we went along, and we do that for one another in the Higher Education Consortium, right? So the seven life domains is extraordinary measure of just staying focused on the whole student, we really want them to be able to see it. So it's actually in our every office. It really does encompass financial, education, career, community, relationships. So if you think about your whole life, not just coming in and talking about college, because who cares about your class if you're being evicted or if you're really struggling with someone at what you may title as home? That is uh, what we do, and that's the model we use. I'm going to find that online, and I'll put a link to that. Yes, that would be great. Our website, blavenscholars.umich.edu, is extremely comprehensive. For that very reason, we really want people who are considering doing the work or understanding the work to have a lot of information so they can replicate this program or others if they'd like. Oh, that's terrific. Thanks for that. And since you did just give the website out, can people also donate to your program if they go to that website? Yes. So the Blavin Scholars Program is 100% donor funded, and which again is a unique model to some when you think about public universities and such, but they can go onto our giving page and they can donate to the program. We like to think about lots of layers of ways that people can get involved. And one of those layers is they can, if they're a staff or faculty member, and again, think that's really important that they are a staff or faculty member versus being in the community they can help navigate the university. But if they want to volunteer, they can consider becoming a part of the Blavin Volunteer Program. We have folks who get together and they do something. For example, we had a group get together and they did uh, wellness kits. So who, if you're sick and you don't have traditional familial support, you don't always have someone who will bring you chicken soup. Who will bring you chicken soup, tea, and medications that over the counter directly (laughs) to you, your campus coach will. And again, thinking about all those gaps, we have a Blavin birthday buddy. That person makes sure that student gets a birthday card and a small gift on their birthday. We have the volunteer program who 
help us to do the work that we do because it is a small team, small and mighty team, and then a larger microcosm, which is really thinking about replicating what life will be like. You aren't alone. There is no such thing as independence. It's interdependence. And so if we create this network, we not only enrich our students' lives, but we create opportunities for folks to understand the barriers and the opportunities for students with experience in foster care and let them have a hand in it. So they could do one thing. They might bring a moving basket for that student. Or they might continuously do something for the students, like show up and and help us with hosting a really nice dinner for our students. I wish I lived up there. (laughs) I would volunteer. (laughs) It is. Our volunteers are tremendous. So if you live in the Michigan area, Mm -hmm. there you go. There you go. (laughs) Anywhere near Ann Arbor, they're looking for volunteers. (laughs) We always are. You can volunteer right on our page and it'll give you a list of opportunities that may suit you and fit your passion. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let me go on to the next official question, which is, you've spent so many years in both foster care and working with young people in the university setting. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about opportunities for the foster system to improve how they do what they do so that young people who are aging out of foster care, I mean, hopefully they wouldn't be in foster care to begin with, but let's say they are, and hopefully they wouldn't have to age out, but let's say they do. What could the system do to improve the preparation of young people to be adults, to be successful in college, to be successful in a job? I think you probably have a unique perspective having been a social worker and doing the work that you do now. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. So I think <laughs> I think there's a few things that there's been a lot of changes made over the years that are helpful, right? So reducing caseloads so that folks can focus specifically on individuals who are aging out. One of the things that I was really surprised by when I moved from the Flint area to the Washtenaw County area was that people were not aware. As a social worker, I was not aware of some of these programs. You know, and the information that I was given was really around help them to get an apartment, help them to get a car, help them to get a computer. And it really wasn't around college access. We had one or two students through my career, which is really saying something, who, you know, were going on to go to college and it was really exciting, but it shouldn't be just one or two people when you have so many young people. So the things that I would say is college access is something I'm very passionate about. I really believe that education in its many forms can be one of the most effective ways for a person to address those gaps caused by experiencing care. But not only college access, but the work itself. So making sure that those specialists have not only the information of what programs are available, but helping them to easily access them and giving the case managers, the tools that they need to really promote college access for students who want to or something else in terms of a trade. Again, these are things that are happening and I think they could be happening more. And do you see that as a role of the foster care system or is that something that the nonprofit world should shore up or maybe a combination? I think it's a combination. And I think it's beyond just the amazing Michigan Youth Opportunity Initiative workers whose role it is to help individuals 
have another layer of transitioning from foster care. I think it is really partnering with colleges and universities and the way that our local area has done. And I think it also is making sure that foster parents are trained really properly. That was a major area that I really took on as a licensing specialist to the material uh, was quite updated, you know, quite aged. And so understanding the unique needs of each student and the intersecting identities of our students. It may be something different that you're offering to one student that you need to think about that student's particular need, or I'm going to say students, but that young person's particular need. So having the specific training for foster parents that really talk about the unique needs, trauma-informed care, which of course, having these trainings and improving the trainings for foster parents and biological parents and relatives all of those individuals that network for that young person, those all have to be integrated into what is the next step for it as this person ages out of the system. Well, it seems to me that a university might be an ideal setting to develop and hold trainings Mm -hmm. for that network. Has University of Michigan ever had conversations about developing and providing training for those involved in foster care? They do. They have and they do. And so have other universities and colleges. And You know, again, part of that is making sure that the information, the material is relevant so that people, when they're participating in trainings, aren't seeing this as, oh, this is academia versus I've got stuff to do. I have got to get this child. I have got to make sure they're safe. It shouldn't be separated. And I think that happens sometimes where we kind of see siloed impacts of of siloed entities sort of really working together and really kind of sometimes not just not working together, but really seeing it as either unnecessary or not as, you know, my work is critical work. My work is life and death work. Your work seems not so much. It seems like something as a choice. And I think without looking at that holistic picture of what young people need, we can't fully serve and make great transitions and mental health and trauma and all of those aspects need to be working together. And I'm not saying that they aren't. I'm just saying that from my experience that we could all be doing better. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask this. Do foster parents, do they have to get like continuing education credits to maintain their license or is it a once and done situation? I just, I'm, I'm not sure. I've never asked that question before. It depends on where you are. Sometimes it's a once and done with the sort of pride training, which may have been quite, it was obsolete when I was training it (laughs) to some degree. And some of it is good, but needed updating and is being updated alongside universities, which is really cool. But they do have to have additional trainings that they go to. Okay. I was just wondering about that because that would seem to me at least to, to be an opportunity to at least try to help ensure that foster parents have up-to-date information Mm -hmm. and knowledge and skills? Well, I will tell you one of the things that I really found important in terms of helping individuals, especially those who are caring for adolescents, which is incredibly difficult to recruit for adolescents, was to make the information more individualized. You know, you can hear about someone else's situation, but if you're a foster parent and you're in training 
you really want to know what do I do with this situation for this individual I'm supporting or I'm caring for. I think that's one really big area. The other thing is 24-hour support, which is probably something that, you know, case manager can't always do. That's a really tough thing to do. But that was one of the things that I sort of created in the new licensing trainings that I was offering was they could call me, you know, 24 hours a day, foster parent, if they were having a crisis. And that meant that there were less replacements for that young person because they felt supported. They didn't feel like I had just dropped, which, you know, is a thing, right? So I had just dropped someone off at their home with a bag of clothing, and then they didn't see me again for a few weeks. So having someone be there, being that key person, very similar to what I've just explained that our program offers, which is a liaison, a point person, a someone you know directly, not six people, but one. Well, something you said made me think of, you know, this concept of a support group for foster parents. Mm-hmm. Where, and I imagine maybe locally they exist. Oh, yes. But I wonder if there's something available on a larger scale, like statewide or even nationally, where you can get into, and I'm thinking online, some kind of support group, if you will, where you can say, look, I've got this challenge with a young person. You know, you have all these other foster parents. Let's brainstorm some ideas for this person so that they can, you know, try to deal with that situation maybe a little better. Have you? come across any kind of like a larger scale support group like that? Oh, yes. Uh, And I believe, I believe it was Hands Across the Water who created, had a really robust foster parent sort of, I'm going to call it a consortium, but it was not a consortium, but a foster parent network where they provided training, they provided supports, peers, which I think is excellent idea. Um, I'm not quite sure if that's still going on, but they did a wonderful job and they continue to do a wonderful job of, of doing all of those things that you just mentioned. Oh, that's good to know. So I'll look it up too and see if it's still active. And if so, I'll put the link uh, with the podcast as well. Okay. Well, I think we're probably coming to the close of our time, but I did want to ask you, as I've been asking our podcast guests at the end of our interviews, what is it that you love the most about the work that you do with Blavin Scholars? Oh, <laughs> what I love, and I think this is such a social work thing. I love the problem solving. I love the fact that these are students who are gritty, resilient, strong, and trust us enough to be vulnerable to ask for help. When that moment comes, when that person who's been doing it a lot, I mean, they got themselves into the University of Michigan which I like to say is like a needle in a haystack surrounded by barbed wire, not because the university, but because of their whole lives and their trajectories and their the work that they've had to do to get there. And they've, they've worked so hard. When that student comes and partners with you and they say, you know what, I get it. And here's my decision to do this thing, to you know set a goal, and then I'm going to trust you. That was remarkable. And of course, we have to say graduation. (laughs) Graduation is phenomenal. What's not to love? I mean, they really are remarkable human beings. And again, Mm -hmm. giving you the opportunity to trust and especially imagine having to trust someone when perhaps your experience has showed you not to trust people. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So again, it's an extraordinary group of human beings that, that we are very fortunate to have the opportunity to work with. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for telling us about your program. I've loved hearing about it. I've known about it for years. So I'm really excited to to have uh, dived into the details of what it is that you do for young people coming out of foster care and, and other situations you know, similar where they don't have the supports that other young people have. And I'm very excited to follow you and to hear more about what you do in the future. And just thank you so much for participating. You are very welcome. I've really enjoyed spending time together. Uh, me as well. Well, for those who have listened to this podcast to the very end, thank you very much. We do put out a podcast every two or three weeks or so, highlighting organizations that are doing great things to support young people aging out of foster care. So we'll be putting another one out in a couple of weeks. And if you're interested in supporting our podcast, we now have a Patreon opportunity for people to support us financially. You can just go to our website, Aging Out Institute, look up our podcast page, and you'll see a link there to Patreon. Thank you all very much for listening. Until next time.